Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. I like three. It works for me. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. That's the secret to life. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. Welcome to my party, guys. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. Once you're an adult, you don't have to do PE anymore. Hello, everyone. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week, we're talking about what all of this has taught us about our kids. Oh, yes. Learned a lot. We've been learning and growing, guys. <laughs> learning and growing. We heard from one listener in particular, and I managed to lose her name. I'm sorry. And she wrote to us and said, can you please talk about the sort of how this moment has actually been kind of good for some kids and really hard for others. This mom has a special needs kid who's doing classes over Zoom. And this mom is actually having to like sit with her and hold her up so she can see the screen for these Zoom classes that are a pale comparison to what this kid is usually getting. And that is really hard. But I think for both the kids who have weirdly thrived during this moment and the kids who have really struggled, there's both ways there's stuff for us to learn and take forward. Yeah. And I mean, I think that it certainly has been revealing. I mean, I'm going to come in hot, Amy, and say that this whole experience for me has been about learning that I like my kids much more and much less than I thought I did before this all began. (laughs) And like, I am kind of joking, but at the same time, it's been chock full of lessons. I'll say that for it. Yeah, so I thought we'd talk about that today, what we've learned about how our kids learn, how they sleep, how they get along as siblings, how they get along as siblings. The cardinal rule of sibling getting along still seems to apply in my house, which is I have three kids. They're uh, 17, 15 and 12, and any two get along fine. I have three possible combinations and they all work well as a dyad. Get a group of three going and it's trouble. How about it? Your house. Is it the same? I agree. And I always I wrote a piece one time and labeling having a third that you have a valve sibling. And it's like it releases the pressure to a certain degree. Like I can't really imagine how two would work even having three because it is true that like the alliances form and break apart. And that's part of it all day long. You know? Yeah. It seems like two must be hard. Like they're always at each other. They only have each other, you know? But it's because there's an existence of the third, because any two of mine get along great as long as the third isn't around. But you're saying even the third's non-presence is still a sometimes presence that makes... If the two only had each other, they'd fight? Yeah, I'm one of three sisters, and I feel like it's just been our lifetime thing that, like, it's good there's three of us, you know? I don't know. I just, I like three. It works for me. I have a quote to start with us and to help us remember that it isn't all good, all bad. Every kid is different. I love this quote. This is from Dr. Jay Belsky. He's a professor of human development. He said in terms of this and sort of, you know, hand-wringing about how this is affecting our kids. He says, the only thing that affects us all the same way is getting dropped head first from the 14th floor. That you know what's going to happen to somebody. The rest of this is kind of maybe good, maybe bad, maybe a little of both. It's always a little bit of both. My sister-in-law has an expression. It's the double-edged sword, but it's the good news and the bad news is the same news. And yeah. there's almost nothing you can't apply that logic to. I was talking to my niece who's 
just in a bad situation with the whole thing was in a program that's gotten canceled and she's a college graduate back home. It's just not great, you know? No. And I said, I don't want to be this person, but like you will look back at this time and say, oh, this led to X, Y, and Z. That's all good. I mean, it's just my dad always says you can't, you never judge a crossroads. And I just think, oh, we're all in that place right now of like, we're being forged in the fire and we don't know what's going to come out the other end yet, but there's going to be good and bad from it. And your kids can definitely surprise you. I have a sort of an Eeyore child for, uh, I think you know what I mean when I say that. <laughs> like, Yes. Ready to see the probably not going to work out in any situation. And last night, this child said, I really think it's going to be fun. I think school's going to start in the fall, but I'm just optimistic like that. And I, yeah. like, <laughs> I love it. What? Who? A forced optimist. But right. Don't prejudge how your kid is going to react to this situation. This sort of doom and gloom kid has decided that they are optimistic and that's how they're going to approach this. And like, thank goodness. I love it. Thank goodness I didn't pre-assume it was not going to be that way. And I would just say that we've been having a lot of those conversations that what you put into this situation is what you're going to get out of it. And that's been a nice lesson for the yours in my household, including myself. <laughs> Let's start with little kids, because a lot of people listening have kids who aren't in school yet. And I don't want to not talk about that because these were special kind of difficulty when you have a small child who isn't getting any kind of peer contact and isn't playing because we like grownups were bad at playing. I have a quote here, Dr. James Cohn. He studies the neuroscience of human connection. And he says that we're not good playmates grownups because we're boring, we're impatient and we have other things to do. And that it is a toll that's taking on these small kids who just want to play bad guys. And you can't do that over Zoom. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Although, yeah, again, the other side of that sword is that we play too much with our kids. And this has been a good reminder of that. Right. Well, I mean, it's easier to say go play outside when they have, you know, siblings or cousins or the kid down the street to play with. Like right now, that's it's sort of forced that conversation, right? If you have one two year old, three year old at home who's saying mommy, mommy, you know, it's forced the reckoning of this kid is going to have to learn to play by herself. And that's a good thing because well, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that free play is how kids learn. And the more they're playing on their own, the happier, more resilient, more of a genius they're going to turn out to be when they grow up. You're doing a good thing by having them play by themselves. Yep. I mean, I am really leaning into that. And I feel like that's where my instincts lie as a parent, which is do less, mostly because I'm just lazy and not that interested in it. But I constantly feel the hum of guilt, which is like, wait, everyone else seems to be like having these curated, amazing experiences. And my kids are like just watching screens a lot and playing, you know. And I have found a great relief in this time of like, oh, nobody's going to Mandarin camp, so I don't have to worry about it right now. Right. Exactly. Like, we're all behind in math. We're all behind in learning to relate to peers. So it's going to be fine. 86 million people have already written this thing piece, which is like our childhood was basically like our moms like drank tab and smoked while we like fended for ourselves in a very fundamental way. And... I think there's something really good in that, that my kids are kind of getting to experience. Although, of course, the flip side of that is like my kids are less likely to be like organizing baseball games amidst themselves and much more likely to be playing on their screens or looking at their phone. Right. But it's a special thing. I mean, it is a thing. If your kid's been alone during these last weeks and months, my nephew, he's three, he has pretty much seen his parents and my in-laws who take care of him and they've created a very successful, you know, bubble that includes those two households. And, you know, he's great. He's fine. He has, they sent us pictures of him in the backyard with this like incredible, you know, blow up slide into a pool into this like, you know, water park for one. And it was so cute and he was having so much fun, but there is something like I look at that picture and like one thing missing another three-year-old, you know, and it's, it is something missing from that picture. And it is something that I think parents of onlys are struggling with right now. Like, is this going to be okay? And you just have to tell yourself, I think that there are gifts to being that resilient kid and it will be okay. Yeah. And it's a draw. I mean, this is the one like old lady thing that I find myself saying to all 
people who are worrying about their kids. Like, and I mean, but it's true. You're not going to remember, you know, people who are like the potty training. I'm like, yeah, I did the same thing. I obsessed about it. And let me tell you, I can't tell you what age my kids did it or how they did it. Like three months, four months for a three-year-old being separated from other three-year-olds. Is it ideal? No, but it's not going to be the defining event of their life. I just believe that on a cellular level. I think that's right. This is some good, um, Guide marks. I got this from the National Association for the Education of Young Children. These are the sort of questions you can ask yourself. Oh, that sounds very serious. Yeah. Whatever they're up to, they sound like they know what they're doing. So if you're one of those parents who's got a, you know, two and a half year old, a four year old who's kind of seeing mostly you right now, these are the questions you can ask yourself. And if you, these questions are yes, then you're doing a great job. Did your child exercise his or her body today? Did they make some art? Mm -hmm. Um, Did they play and did they have a conversation with somebody? Those are your sort of, you'll be okay. Yeah. That's a really good four-point touchstone. And guys, let me tell you something. Insider tip. Even after quarantine, those are the only four questions you need to be asking. You don't need to like, oh my God, we're back to real life. Now I need to add, does my child speak three languages to that list? You don't. That list is a go-to. For every kid. Let's read it again because I want to stuff it in my own head. And also, it doesn't just apply to little kids. I'm thinking of this for my 11-year-old. I'm thinking of this for me. All right. Right? Hit me again. Exactly. (laughs) Did they exercise their body? Good. Did they make art? Did they play? And did they have a conversation? Love it, guys. I think we can do that. We can all get there. We could just wrap this episode right now. That's it. Right. That's all the parenting advice you ever need, ever, right there. That's the secret to life. Let's talk about how kids sleep and how we all sleep, because we definitely learned about that a fair bit during this by just letting our kids sleep until they wake up more often. The... um Teenagers everywhere have become like taller and stronger and happier and calmer because they're all getting like another hour and a half of sleep than they usually get. And there's a whole movement out there saying like we can't go back to making teenagers get on the bus at 6.20 a.m. It's not fair to them. Their circadian rhythms don't support this. My kids have gotten a lot more sleep during this time. Mine also, and just the lack of pressure around sleep is amazing and yeah, love it. I mean, my kids still, mine are 11, 9, and 8, and they are all still up by 7 a.m. every day. So I don't have a sleeper in her. So I don't know how I would be dealing with it if I had to deal with like, uh, at some point you have to go to bed because I don't want everyone sleeping till noon all day forever. Are your kids doing that? Like sleeping late? Yeah, I mean, I so I have two teenagers, so I definitely have kids who would sleep until you woke them. Yes. And I go to bed before <laughs> two and usually three of my kids every night because I'm tired at 1030. And God bless them. Like, you know, I've read up on this. Teenagers are not tired at 10 p.m. They are just getting started. And it's been nice to allow that to just kind of be like, okay, don't stay up too late. Okay. But they're getting enough sleep because they don't have that commute to school. They don't even have the get in the shower necessarily, right? Oh, they definitely don't have the get in the shower at my house. Yeah. Especially even if you have a Zoom thing. Now, my son is doing, my oldest is doing a remote internship right now. So that is very nice. It's gotten him on a schedule, up, having breakfast, getting a you know nice looking, his Zoom wardrobe, right? Like, right party from the ways down and you know and sitting in front of his computer at 8 30 every morning I'm thrilled he has that to do now that school is over yeah my 15 year old is starting to you know it's the days are getting a little free form for him but letting him sleep as much as he needs to sleep has been a revelation it really has and I think for him too I think my kids have just gotten during this like I really do feel better when I get as much sleep as I need you know and they're not rushing from activity to activity. My kids in a normal spring would have been getting home from practice at seven o'clock to take a shower, eat dinner, and then start three, four hours of homework at eight. And we didn't have that this spring. And it was good. It was nice. Yeah. I mean, I would say the biggest downside for us right now is that we have just spent way too much time together. Like we're sick of each other's faces. Like we're so on each other's nerves. But On the flip side, the not rushing around thing cannot be overstated. And anyone who listens to this podcast knows I have firmly been team not rushing around for a long time. That's true. But 
the flip side of that is I've had a tremendous amount of guilt. Like, uh, I think everyone else is doing it better than me. And it has been lovely to just be like, whoa, welcome to my party, guys. <laughs> it's the we're all home and relaxing and eating dinner party. So I have felt good about how much we're not doing, but... I welcome everyone to uh, join me in the land of not doing a ton of activities. It's great. Even after this ends. It's an opportunity, right? Whether it's like over scheduling or sleep to sort of pause and revisit. Okay, what about this worked? Which for me was like, okay, my kids getting like eight, nine, ten hours of sleep a night really worked. So how can I bring that back in when the real world starts nibbling at the edges, right? How can we preserve the things that are sort of most important to our well-being? Yeah, that's it. All right, we'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so let's talk about what we learned about how our kids learn during this time, because it was a lot for me. The surprising part was that some of our kids actually did better during online remote schooling, homeschooling, whatever it is you want to call it. This was a forced experiment for all of us. And some of us suddenly saw kids who were thriving. And did that happen to you or anybody you know? Unfortunately, it did. And I keep saying, I'm like, I have to just shut out the part of my brain that has realized that one of my kids would do much better homeschooled full time because I can't manage it. I don't want to do it. It's not for me. But I have one of my kiddos who is just very, very distractible. And almost all that I ever heard about school was about what happened and who did what and who said a curse word and then the whole class got in trouble and I don't know I feel that for him peeling away a lot of the distractions of school and having it become about just learning and the other thing that you see is like people always say this there's always been a theory of like there should be like a 16 hour work week that so much of work is really getting to the office, chatting with people, that you really only do a certain amount of work at work. And then a lot of the time at work is filler time. Right. There would be no Cyber Monday, right? With everybody buying all their Christmas clothes the Monday morning after Thanksgiving if work was really the place where you got work done all the time. Right. And not that people are just like slacking off at work, but they've seen doing a ton of studies that there's only, you know, three hours or so that you're actually working and that most of the day is kind of meetings and other things. And I feel like for my kid, the eight hour school day 
when instead he just did the three hours of work kind of on his own schedule, he was able to like really dial into that work in a way and make a lot of progress. And I think it was very, very positive for him to not have to do the five hours of inter- you know, child drama that surrounded that three hours of work. And yet I am not ready to homeschool him. There's a really good website that I actually discovered researching this episode called edutopia.org. And it's designed for teachers, but there's a lot for any of us to learn from this. And so if you look at the website right now, there's tons of content on, okay, so how do the kids learn? How are we going to do this if we have to do it again? You know, what went right? What went wrong? And Nora Fleming wrote an article. I'll put the link in the show notes right where you're listening right now or at whatfreshhealthpodcast.com. And I loved this anecdote. She interviewed a teacher named Montanique Woodward, who teaches middle school in Washington, D.C., and she reported like a version of what you're saying, that she had a class clown, let's call, maybe that's an old deluxe alert calling somebody a class clown. Now <laughs> you'd say they have, back in my day, ADHD, but back in our day, it was class clown. So in the seventh period, right, right at the end of the day, she had a class clown and like, good kid, but she kind of dreaded it because this kid just got the whole class whipped up, right? It just was really hard to control her seventh period class because of this one student. And that student was thriving during remote learning and those problems went away. So she suggests that not having the distractions, the everyday distractions around for kids like that helps them focus on the work because some kids, she says, really can't separate the social things going on and the person walking down the hallway from the work. And this has been really good for them. Yeah, that's my guy. A hundred percent. And there's other things in this article. They also talk about there are themes of the school day that don't work so well for some kids, like the bell, right? And the jarring bell and the getting up and moving. I had a kid, I don't hear this now, but I heard it when he was little, that he hated transitions, right? He was like the last one to line up for art, the last one to put his coat on and go in the play deck. He really just hated being interrupted 12 times a day during pre-K to go do something else. And that a lot of that also went away and it enables the creative, quirky kids to really do that. The thing I've always heard about homeschooling being so great is like if your kid loves to draw, they get to draw for four hours a day, right? Like all our kids had an experiment in that. And I have a friend whose kid loves to draw like cartoons and stuff, you know, like Captain Underpants kind of things. And he's a third grader. And he has during this time just like gone down that rabbit hole. And he made a nine-year-old made like a 40-page choose-your-own-adventure comic book for one of his characters that is really impressive. And it, it works. It holds up. You can choose your own adventure. And this kid would never have had the time to do that in the normal schedule. And it was really eye-opening for his parents in terms of like, wow, he has this ability, but we're spending instead a lot of time hearing how he needs to listen in class. You know what I'm saying? My sister-in-law, who I speak about often on the podcast, she's an educator and knows a ton about childhood development. And she said this to me a long time ago, and it really stuck with me, that elementary school tests something fundamentally that most people are not good at, which is doing a little bit of everything all day. Mm. Like there is nothing that replicates that as an adult where it's like, okay, Amy, you're going to start the day with art. Next up, some archery, then reading and English, then math skills, then, you know, physical education. Like that is not the way that we function as human beings. And so there are certain kids, and I have one of them for sure, who don't thrive in that environment. Mm -hmm. They don't like the transitions. They're good at certain things and they don't want to do the six things they're not good at. I have another kid who's like, I love life. And she loves that environment. She's like, I also love art. Oh, and I also love archery. And she's that's she's built genetically for elementary school. And so I think for our kids who are not as good at the transitions and they're not jacks of all trades, they're really masters of one or two. It has been a great time for them. And, you know, I mean, I'm not going a different direction probably, but it's still good, I think, to remember that lesson that like not being good at eight things is not a skill. That's not something we should reward or I don't even care about rewarding it. That's not something that we should hang our hats on with our kids. It's like, are they thriving in this 
particular environment and like my kid who struggles with that is always I'm always told like he is very self-directed you know and he's like good at preferred activities and not good at unpreferred activities and yeah the reality is like a CEO is his main skill is good at preferred activities you know what I mean like right that's not necessarily a test of something that is really important for kids and it's just good to keep that in mind and this has been a good reminder of that for me I've actually read that in the past it really stuck with me about ADHD that for kids for people with ADHD that middle school is a little easier than elementary school high school is a little easier than middle school you know that it gets a little easier as you get older with the finish line being adulthood where you're still going to have your struggles I guess but each layer sort of peels away some of the stuff you really don't want to be doing right once you get to college you don't have to take math anymore if you really don't want to I didn't and it was great once you're an adult, you don't have to do PE anymore, right? Like, like, no more gym, no more this, no more stuff that I think is boring. And you can focus on what you want. And there's probably a takeaway there. If you have a kid who loves to make Choose Your Own Adventure comic books, and you figured that out during this time when they had unlimited time to self-occupy, then maybe that is a kid who doesn't need a ton of after-school activities. Maybe that kid does need more time in their room imagining that that's something you can keep doing. The other X factor that we haven't discussed in this, and I think it's really important, is the fact that you're involved as a parent and like that role. So the thing that didn't work great for us is that my kids don't like me being their teacher. Yeah. And so I have spoken about this previously, but I am a Boy Scout leader. And the first thing they tell you as a Boy Scout leader is that your child will be the worst behaved scout in your den. And you will see (laughs) behavior from your child that you've never seen before. And that it's going to be really hard because and what we had two leaders of the den and very, very early on, we decided that my co-leader was in charge of my kid and I was in charge of her kid because your kid sees you in a different role. They don't see you as the teacher authority figure, you know, Mm -hmm. and so there is so much conflict inherent to that, that you can't really take that out of the equation. Like, I think if my child had a tutor at home, he would have aced homeschooling. Yeah, because the all the friction around homeschooling was like, don't tell me what to do, mom. (laughs) Help me, stupid mom. Right. (laughs) Who doesn't know anything? (laughs) Help me, stupid mom, who I'm going to yell at. And like it devolved into screaming matches with all of my kids at least a dozen times where I was just like, you are not going to abuse me for trying to teach you PEMDAS. Like, it's not going to happen. This is not working for me. I wish I could tell you that got better. Uh with ages and stages, but no, it doesn't. I'm sure it gets worse though. Yeah. And I mean, this is a whole conversation that has happened on our Facebook group and stuff. Homeschooling is not what we've been doing. We've been doing this like very like crisis centered, oh my gosh, let me fill in and do this. And there's a lot of talk and work around this. I don't even think it's our goal to talk about how to successfully homeschool your kids because I don't think most of us are doing that. We're talking about like how to survive this unique experience, which is not the same thing as homeschooling. Right. Can we talk about the kids who didn't do so well during this time? Because I have had those too. (laughs) Sure, I've got some of those as well. That's the good thing about having three. You've got one of everybody. I noticed during this time, I thought that the even more reading and working on screens instead of, you know, marking up a PDF, writing in a notebook, reading a paper book, even more of it moved online because it had to. Uh, For all of my kids, it was a lot of typing stuff instead of writing things down. And I noticed I have one kid who really struggled with that, who needs the paper real life, not on the screen, not with the, you know, Snapchat notifications coming in the side. It was a little harder to concentrate. Oh, yeah. I mean, my daughter, who is basically like made in a lab to thrive in elementary school, it it was Not for her, you know? I mean, she loves the social aspect. She loves being in class. She liked the Zooms with her teacher and like where she was all together in class. But, and God bless these teachers. I mean, God bless them. The fact that they would even attempt to teach (laughs) anything to a bunch of eight-year-olds on a Zoom class where like they're all talking at the same time. And so now let's look at how we add these two numbers. And it's like, but first, here's my dog. Look what he can do. I mean, God bless these people. It was a hot mess. You're right. And it wasn't a lot of learning for her. And luckily, she's a big reader and... She likes baking, and so we were figuring out some number stuff. And, I mean, for her, we just didn't do a ton of... She didn't learn very much. 
Yeah. And it's okay when they're eight and it's a little harder when they're in middle school, right? Like in my case, the reluctant reader in my household became a more reluctant reader. Yeah. Unfortunately, my reluctant reader became a like refused to reader. It was tough. Yeah. It's tough. And I'm still dealing with that. And part of that is like books instead of screens. Okay, let's read a book. Well, let's. It became more clear to me the ways in which my reluctant reader struggles when I was overseeing the homework more clearly. There are, I mean, thank goodness, these days there are all sorts of ways our teachers, our kids' teachers understand them that I think we even miss sometimes because our kids' teachers have a much more sophisticated understanding of our children and how they learn than I'll speak for myself than I did. I was surprised by some of the things that one of my kids found difficult to do. I didn't really know it until I saw it for myself because I was overseeing the assignment, not the teacher. And it was a really good assignment for me because it's not that it alarmed me, but it was sort of like, oh, all right, okay, this is a thing and this is something we're going to have to really help this kid with. The teachers had sort of taken that off my plate to such an extent I wasn't really aware of it. I've always made that argument about homework. I'm not a big homework person, not a fan in general as a concept. I think it can be counterproductive in many ways. But the one thing I do like about homework is it gives me a half an hour at night to see what they're struggling with. Right. You know, oh, this kid. Otherwise, you know, I just wouldn't be that dialed in, which would also, spoiler alert, probably be okay. Like, guess what? My parents weren't dialed into how I was right. doing in math class, you know? And guess what happened? In high school, I was terrible at math. I couldn't do anything. And they panicked. And then guess what? My life turned out fine. Right. <laughs> Are you a math teacher? No. Did it work out fine? I am not a math teacher. And like, luckily, I married a dude who graduated from MIT. So I solved my own problem. Nice. Because he can teach them PEMDAS and I can have a cup of tea. It's very Jack Spratt and Mrs. Jack Spratt. Yeah. But guess what? <laughs> you can solve a lot of problems in this world that don't have to do with being good at math when you're in sixth grade. Turns out fine, guys. Good to know. The other thing that I think my learners found hard in this time was the lack of regular feedback. Like my high schoolers got a sort of mid-trimester report that the teachers very kindly, like the main messaging was like, great job, everybody doing a good job. I see you working so hard. I see you trying on the Zoom screen. Great job. They clung to that. It was like an oasis in the desert. And it was hard for them to not see their teachers and not get that excellent question. I mean, they were getting it over Zoom, but it's not the same. And they, I saw them wither a little bit from that lack of feedback from their teachers. They were more worried about how they were doing when they weren't there in person with the teacher to pick up on their cues, I guess. Yeah. Even that's a double-edged sword though, right? Like, yeah. Okay. A little less, you know, I'm just so team, a little less praise of our children would go a long way. <laughs> so I think in general, like, I mean, I've said it before, the elementary school experience to me, like the big problem with my kids' elementary school experience is like, it's a magical wonderland of fun. Like, and then welcome to real life, kids. Like, yeah. it's not a magical wonderland of fun. So I think a break from all of the feedback and praise also has some upsides. All right, when we come back, let's talk about how our kids socialized or not during this time. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty-calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero-gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. 
When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. And now, what we say about our kids versus what we mean about our kids. From the What Fresh Hell podcast, we say... They are always surprising me. We mean... This morning, I came into their bathroom and found out they were having a naked ninja fight with the cat. We say... He loves to do a deep dive into things. We mean... Literally, the only way I can get him to talk to me is to spend 45 minutes listening to him recite basketball statistics. We say... He is so spirited. We mean... Every item I've ever valued over the course of my entire lifetime is now broken. We say... The boys are growing like weeds. We mean... I am spending half our take-home pay on groceries. It's like living with a couple of feral bears. We say, she is a true original. We mean, yeah, this one came out kind of weird. This has been what we say about our kids versus what we mean. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. All right, Amy, we're back. We're talking about socialization. My kids, I will say the biggest lesson for my kids is that they have had to work it out with each other. And I'm kind of impressed by them. They've done a really nice job. I give my kids a tip of the hat. They have the three of them, 11, 9, and 8, have been nonstop together for three months. And I'm just amazed that they haven't (laughs) turned to violence to solve their problems. And they basically, they fight, they work it out. I let them have a lot of room, you know, and I've stopped intervening in most things and we do, I think I've discussed, we have a weekly meeting on Sundays and like a family meeting in the morning, how's it going? And I'm like, well, here's what I'm seeing, you know, and they're able, I feel like we have struck a peership, the five of us, the parents and the three kids. And very early on in homeschooling, I may have said this, I told the kids that like, this is going to be really hard for me, especially, and your dad to some degree, although he's much more patient. And if it's not going well, you can just say patience or break and we will walk away from each other for a while and come back together. And it kind of helped like guide our whole experience of the thing of like, this is gonna stink, but you're part of the world, you're part of the universe of how this functions and you have a say in it. And I feel like that's been a good lesson for us. God, like all five of us in my house have had a, you know, complete Oscar winning meltdown like I'm not gonna take it anymore (laughs) like that kind of thing you've all done it not without my daughter yeah yeah we've each had our moment and it is funny how like the world takes care of us so the person who is having that like there is always somebody else at the table who was the person losing their mind last week who now can be like okay I think this has just been a lot with a lot of together time we can maybe just take a break it's amazing to me how my spouse and I and even my children can change positions so readily thank goodness because otherwise yeah we would have all I don't know what jumped out a window by now well and I think for those of us in my family of whom I am the number one who have trouble with our emotional regulation the idea is there's no solution to this and it's been interesting to play that out to the end too right because one of my kids who struggles with emotional regulation I often am trying to find a solution to stop the 
tantrum, basically, you know, that I take that on myself as, okay, well, let's make this compromise or let's figure this out or let's do your breathing or let's this and let's that. And I've just gotten to a point of like, go figure it out and come back when you're done because I got my own emotional regulation problems. And for myself and finding the answer in hard times, it's been a real learning. Yeah. And that is, I've been, I've been using that technique in my house myself too. When your kid is really losing it, they're anxious, they're frustrated, whatever. They do need to know. I'm not talking about a two-year-old, but I am talking about a 10-year-old. They do need to know that they have it within themselves to calm down without you doing it with them for them. You know what I mean? Like go work it out. It's been good in some ways for us. And like, you've got to figure this out. And here's the thing. We're all in this bad situation together. And that's something that we haven't really experienced as a family. I've had, you know, let's say when my mom passed away, I'm having a hard time. You guys need to respect that. Here's the thing. And you need to cut me some slack during this time. And that's one thing. This is now a situation of we are all in this boat together. And if you're going to befoul the boat. Yeah, that's well said. It's really not okay to the rest of us because we're all in this boat together. So listen, emotional regulation, dude. You've got to figure this out because I cannot have you in this boat with me acting the fool because we're all in this together. And it's been difficult and challenging and sometimes it hasn't gone great. And for myself, it's been sort of a revelation of like, oh, I actually also have to get this together to a certain degree because right. we're literally not leaving the boat. You know, we just took a, a family drive and uh, a long car trip and it was super challenging. And I would say myself and my emotional regulation dude had the hardest time with it. And it was literally an exercise in you have to figure out something else to do except for complain about being in the car because we're not going to have it. We're the five of us. We're literally in this car together. Right. And we're not going to sit here and listen to you complain. And, you know, <laughs> his response at one point was like, oh, get out of the car on the side of the road. And I was like, honey, don't tempt me. You don't want to tempt me again with that suggestion because I'm getting pretty darn close. But guess what? We didn't have to live him by the side of the road. And he had to figure it out. And he did. And there's like slightly more compassion in your cup, maybe because you do know like, oh, this kid is like in month four and he can't take it anymore. And like, you get it because it's your thing, too. It has helped me greet it with a little more compassion. Like, I know what you're freaking out about. Me, too. Right. And yeah, you need to stop doing it all the time or whatever. But it's not like, what is going on with this kid? It's, you don't wonder. That's right. Because literally we're in it together. I know this stinks. Yeah. But I think for all the kids Facing a little adversity is not the worst thing to happen to our kids for most of us. I mean, I'm speaking from a place of like great privilege and I get that. But for a lot of people listening to like not getting what they want, facing some adversity, these are good lessons for our kids and we should absorb those lessons. You know, don't let the lesson pass you by because you're being gifted it in a certain way. One thing I learned about my kids was the socialization thing was that like they do socialize differently and seem to have different needs for it so I have a 12 year old girl who has spent a lot of time facetiming zooming house partying whatever like talking to classmates online I mean sometimes for like a couple of hours looking at their kitty cats whatever right and she has weathered this with a ton of goodwill and resilience, but that's kind of her personality. You know, she is our sunny kid. So I looked at that and at first I was like, she's talking to her friends all the time and she's in a pretty good mood and she seems to be weathering this well. So that means that kids need to be talking to their friends on Zoom and FaceTime. So I tried to set it up for another one of my kids who has shown little interest in that. And that kid continued to show little interest in that. And I had to sort of accept like, again, like that's not for everybody. Some people really draw oxygen from that. And some kids think that's super dumb and weird and don't need it and maybe never did. I don't know. Have your kids like some talk to kids and some not? Yep, for sure. And one strange revelation of this, and I hate to come out with a pro Fortnite stance, guys, because you know I was firmly against, <laughs> but I gave in during the quarantine because I thought, I don't know what else I'm going to do. And I will say for a nine and an 11 year old for whom socializing is complicated in different ways, they're both boys. 
there has been something really interesting about them being able to socialize while doing a secondary activity, which is playing this video game. So they're on a headset talking to people. Both of my boys have really expanded their social circles and both of them have dealt with like Mm, bullying is not the right word, but like some inappropriate behavior kind of on the games where they're like, well, we just had to say we are leaving this game and we are not allowed to participate in this kind of behavior. (laughs) And I feel like they've learned some interesting social lessons. And we had one interesting experience where one of my kids had a friend who they were seeing in this like very socially distanced way and they were it was my son's birthday and we set up chairs like across the driveway so that kids could come over and say hi and this one kid and my son sat across the driveway and they just didn't talk at all for 20 minutes and it felt really awkward and I felt bad about it and then at the very end they exchanged their Fortnite names and what do you know they get on Fortnite and they're BFFs they talk nonstop for an hour straight oh my gosh and there's just something about the headset interaction where they're doing a secondary activity that makes it easier for shy kids to like have friends it's kind of nice I never thought about that. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that the way for us as grownups to have fun Zoom calls that aren't depressing with our friends is to have the secondary activity, like be playing Scrabble at the same time. and Right. Watching the Indigo Girls. Yeah. Yeah. And so, of course, that exists for kids. I really hadn't thought of that. But they will find it, right? Like, I guess I'm seeing with my kids, I am sort of feeling bad about them not seeing their peers, you know, being removed from peers at such an important time in their lives. I have a tween and two teens but I have discovered as you say like for one of my kids it's Minecraft the Minecraft server and the chat box that's going on that and of course the social media interactions that I'm not even seeing that are happening while they're in the backseat of the car they got it like they're filling their cup in ways that I don't have to be in charge of and it's not perfect but it's working yeah I miss other side of the coin today but There's also like issues with it where I worry a little bit more about I'm doing a lot more checking my kids chat on his phone. My 11 year old is the only one who's like even in that world at all. But I'm finding I need to dial in a lot. I don't want them in a back bedroom talking to a bunch of kids I don't know. You know, so that's been something to figure out about it, which is not just like, oh, look, they all get along so well online and they get off when there's anything inappropriate. I'm not thinking that that's the way this is actually going. So that has been a little bit of a headache to kind of keep a half an eye on that. Yeah. And yet I don't think you're wrong to think like this has to be allowed right now, like some of this so that they can have socialization, which will keep us all going. Yeah. So so keep an eye on it. That makes sense to me. Yeah. And I find that for myself is like, oh, the socialization part is we drove over to my dad's house for a while just for a change of scenery. And I was thinking like, oh, it'll be so nice because he has a pool at the house and we could swim and that'll be so nice. But one of the things I find is like, I used to walk with a friend in the afternoons, like socially distance walk. And it's like, I have cut ourselves off socially a little bit. And I underestimated what a role those like small social interactions were playing. So something to keep in mind. It's hard, like, right, to sort of say, are you okay with this when we keep having to have those slightly difficult conversations and be okay if the answers as we all start to emerge a little bit, but right from our little cocoons. I guess what I'm learning is the children will lead the way, that they kind of know what they need. And this moment has shown me ways that what they need is not what they're getting, but also that they know how to create the right workarounds for themselves if we let them. And I think this is a great time for this conversation because as we start to ease things up, what did we learn that we can take away from this? Like it wasn't all bad lessons. Some of the lessons were good. I have a quote here from Rosie Reed. She is the 2019 California Teacher of the Year. That's what she has to say about this moment. Oh, congratulations, Rosie. Yeah, Rosie Reed. So she says, I can't say enough about how this closure has changed my entire approach to teaching because I see how it has been an amazing respite for so many students. So that's what the teacher of the year says. We need to change our approach. Rosie, you solved it. (laughs) I think that's it. Like, learn what you learned before you rush back. It's the episode of The Simpsons that I keep referencing where, like, the electricity goes out and everyone's out, like, playing in the fields and, like, hugging each other and, like, dancing around. And then someone's like, the TV 
keys are back on and everyone runs back inside and like sits back down and learn the lesson of the electricity being off for a while and don't just discount that all when things start to return to normal. I'm glad we had this talk. I learned a lot this week. I figured some things out while we were talking. I'm glad we had this chat, Amy. I'm glad. We want to hear how this is going for you. What went well for your kids during this time and maybe not so well? There's a lot of ways you can tell us. You can come to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash whatfreshhellcast. We got a page and a group. And a group, guys. We also have a YouTube channel now because we're making videos. That's one thing that started to happen for us while we were in quarantine. We started making videos. That's right. And so find us on YouTube by searching What Fresh Hell Podcast and you will see our cute faces there. We're everywhere. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We're on Pinterest now. It's like we TikTok. We're on all the things. So whatever thing works for you, find us. Oh, God. TikTok. My kids are so upset that we're on TikTok. Can I tell you? They keep moaning about it. They're like, I don't understand why we're on TikTok. But we do, guys. So find us there just to, if nothing else, than to embarrass my children. And with that, we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye, everybody. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now, Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life stucks. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact invented. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk, and let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking